Growing up, my generation, we saw two types of people that stick out in my head. There were the people that worked really, really, really hard and it came at a huge cost and they didn't really do that well. They were constantly living paycheck to paycheck and they couldn't afford to send their kids to college and their kids are drowning in debt and in loans. So we ask ourselves, was that really worth it? And then on the flip side, we see people that are really, really, really successful that also worked really, really, really hard, but it came at the expense of marriages and households and, and these things kind of, was that really worth it? This, the time that we spend doing something for the next 60 years, it should have some impact or purpose. You're listening to the Vacation Rental Managers Podcast with Sarah and T. Sarah stands for me, Sarah Bradford, a 15-year vacation rental company owner in Colorado who sold the company for big bucks last year. And T stands for me, Tim Cafferty, who's still moving and shaking with two companies, Outer Banks Blue and Sandbridge Blue in North Carolina and Virginia, respectively. Between us, we have managed over 700 properties, making lasting memories for over 100,000 guests and produced over 150 podcast episodes and counting, sharing all of our secrets to growing a profitable, long-lasting vacation rental company. We like to call those secrets pullover moments, and it wouldn't be possible without support from our pullover partners, ICND, Data, and Sojo. We're back and better than ever. I'm Tim. And I'm Sarah. And I'm Cal. <laughs> Wait, who was that? What's going on? Somebody Who's got that on the guy. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm here to uh, to talk to the elderly generation about some things that us young people would like to let you know, let you in on a few secrets. <laughs> we are so excited today to have Cal. Guess what his last name is? DeJulius. If you haven't heard us say that word, you haven't been listening to the podcast. And this is the first second generation guest we've ever had on the podcast, Cal. You know, Tim and I love your dad. D I call him DJ Jazzy Jules. I don't know if you know that. Oh, no, I didn't. That's really it's nice. weird. <laughs> but John DeJulius, he's been on the podcast, well, I guess three times. There was one time and then a second time when it was a two-part series about a year and a half ago. And we'll be having him on again soon to talk about his new book that's being published in the spring. But today, we have the one and only Cal DeJulius with us, John's son, so I don't even know how you raise a son that quickly to be ready to be on podcasts and doing keynotes, but hello, Cal. He makes us read a lot of books. <laughs> hello. I'm so happy to be here, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I asked about you when your dad was on the podcast last time, and he was just beaming from that moment on. He is so proud of you. Like I think all dads are proud of their sons, but I had the occasion to meet you in Cleveland at the Customer Service Revolution Conference, and I saw in person why he is so proud. You Rushed it. Uh, thank you so conference. much. I appreciate it. You did a session called Boomers Boomer. to Zoomers. Boomers yeah. Zoomers. yeah. No pressure, but we're prepared to be amazed. So <laughs> as we get started, give us some background on the different groups that you spoke about there and that you're well versed on. Like, for instance, I'm a boomer. We have different generation on the other side of the microphone. And then yeah, I want to be clear, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not even okay. close to boomer. Take us through that, if you will. And, and yeah, what, absolutely. Uh, what's the difference of the of the folks and in, in the interactions? There are so many generations we talk about, but you have in the workplace today, you probably have not so many silent generation that ends at 1945, but you have the you have the boomers, which goes from 46 to 64. So my dad's right on the 
cusp of that. Then you have Gen Xers, which is 65 to 80, and then millennials, 81 to 96. I'm the first year of Gen Z, which is 97 to 2012. And I wanted to focus on this when we were, were doing um, prep for that conference, because I'm the first year of Gen Z that's in the workforce. A lot of what has happened over the past couple of years really shifted the types of interactions that we have and that our whole plan for the future. But I think that the interesting thing that I gathered when I was going through all of the generations and all of the, the differences and similarities was the headlines of every news article that came out in the years that the next generation was coming into the workforce and the anxiety around it. They all were the same. Literally, I pulled together Time Magazine articles and the descriptions were, you know, they're all slackers, they're sleeping in their clothes. You know, that was about Gen X. Their progress oh. not going to match that of their parents. That was about Gen X. Whiners, they want everything now. That was about boomers. And these were the same headlines that we hear right now about Gen Z. And I'm not saying that a lot of it, there's not truth to it. I think that the anxieties are are real that people are having. But what I wanted was to, to, to everyone to take a breath and realize that like we've done this before and we've navigated it. And we've done it successfully. And the organizations that, you know, make the right choices and lean in have been successful. And the generation gap has been navigated fine. I try to think about that sometimes. I have twin 16-year-old boys, Cal. And when they're playing crazy music, I think this world is ending. This is terrible. And then I think about how my mom listened to Madonna in my room and I had to turn it down and hide that we were listening to Madonna. So it always is happening. And you just gave me a great way to remember Gen Z is Gen Zoom. Yeah. Like a Zoomer, right? Gen Z. Okay. Because I think that's a new one for all of us. We know millennials. We've made fun of them for years now. But Gen Z is the younger group. And interestingly, I've heard Gen Z make fun of millennials. Like millennials are being made fun of already by the younger people. And then I talked to a millennial today and I said, what should I talk about on this podcast with Cal? And he goes, oh, he's a millennial, full on millennial. And he goes, oh, Gen Z, they have no work ethic. Yeah. They hate us. They hate you. Like almost more than we, we love you because we, we birthed you. Right. You know, in the Gen X world. So this is also interesting. And what we want to do today is focus in like, you know, our audience, vacation rental managers, vacation rental workers, people in, you know, marketing, sales, housekeeping, all these different areas of our company. We want you to explain their mindset to us, maybe both millennial and Gen Z. You can tell us things about each one or both. Share with us ways that we can understand these people as this new generation, like you said, is coming into the workforce this year. For so long, you have these founders of these legacy companies or any company, startups or these companies have been around for decades and decades and decades. And these founders have this vision and this purpose and, and, and it's so authentic. It's an incredible story and it gets people to come work for them and grow up from the ground up. And then We've heard complaints from the last X amount of years that this purpose is gone and that people only want to come to work and punch in at nine and leave at five. There's no real connection to that. And that happens a lot when we, especially when people scale their businesses, whether it's quickly or not, the founders are either there or they're no longer there or they're no longer alive. And their whole vision and purpose and meaning of why they started this to to solve some difficulty in the market is not really present anymore. And it becomes monotonous. And I think that one of the irritating things for people about Gen Zers is that PRS say that we want purpose and it can be kind of an eye roll thing. Like, what does that mean? Just come into your job. But for me, it's like, finally, these, I see my dad who, who has employees of 
you know, in salons and et cetera. And we work with companies all the time. And it's like, they're complaining constantly about people wanting to punch in and punch out and leave. And it's like, finally, you have people that want to be connected to that purpose again. So we just had to figure out how to tell that story in a constructive way that resonates with Gen Zers and millennials, et cetera, that makes sense to the older generations as well, as we're all in this workplace together. But I think that it, does that answer your question? It does. And I'm wondering, back up and tell us why they care about purpose. In my opinion, and everyone's experience is obviously a little different, but growing up, my generation, we saw two types of people that stick out in my head. There were the people that worked really, really, really hard and it came at a huge cost and they didn't really do that well. They were constantly living paycheck to paycheck and they couldn't afford to send their kids to college and their kids are drowning in debt and in loans. So we ask ourselves, was that really worth it? And then on the flip side, we see people that are really, really, really successful that also worked really, really, really hard, but it came at the expense of marriages and households and and these things kind of, was that really worth it? The, the time that we spend doing something for the next 60 years, it should have some impact or purpose. And I also think that we're in a time right now where there's so much, and I think it pro- this probably happens every few, few generations, but maybe every generation, but we're in a time right now that so much is going on in the world that you want to feel like what you're doing matters. And we're not really willing to trade hours for dollars anymore because a lot of people are going to have to work multiple jobs. It's just the it's just the the hustle culture. And it's not because we want to work multiple jobs. It's because we have the largest amount of student debt that has ever existed. And no one really knows how to navigate that. So there's a lot of variables, but I think that we need to feel that we're spending our time that's providing some sort of value not just for ourselves, but for everyone. I want to get back to that trading hours for dollars. So as an employer, how do I shift my mentality when I have somebody like you across the table interviewing for a job to make sure I'm answering their needs? And we talk about it a lot. And that's why as a customer experience consultant or an employee experience consultant, I like to take the methodology that my dad's company has created, creating customer experience, action statement, and those sorts of things to try to help companies bridge that gap to like emphasize your company's purpose, particularly any goals that transcend profit. And so the thing is back to the whole meaning and of, of the founders and the purpose, like it exists. It's just telling that story. Like there is a reason that people came to work here and believed in your vision and customers swiped their credit cards or paid whatever in the beginning and still do. We just have to tell that story. It's not, we're not asking to reinvent the wheel. It's just reshifting that, reframing that, highlighting the, the roles that contribute to certain objectives and the positive impacts of work, understanding the day in the lives of your customers and the work that you do and why it's important to somebody else. I work with a lot of companies that they don't realize that they, they maybe have a have a desk job or a, a, a role that doesn't directly like communicate with the end user or the customer. And they don't really realize how important their work is. Without you doing the underwriting of a loan, this veteran doesn't get their mortgage. Mm -hmm. And this veteran getting their mortgage is a huge, huge thing. Like that's so important and that's that's meaningful work. And so telling that story and realizing like your piece in the puzzle is is key. And in the past, we didn't know we could ask for that at our company. We just did the work and tried to figure out why we were around. And because this new generation is saying, wait, but why am I here? Why do I want to do this? It's causing that question to come up more, which I think is excellent. I love how you've reframed it because what it gets to is culture. It all comes back to culture. And culture is so hard to create at your company in the way that you want it to be. Because of your dad, really, I have always done a day in the life activities. The FORD, how do you relate to somebody? 
Why are we doing what we do? How do we affect guests? How do we affect homeowners? How do we affect our community? And what do we stand for in values and mission and really talking to every person at the company about that? I think that's the difference here too. The guy that's just pushing papers doesn't realize he's helping the veteran. The guy that's fixing the toilet doesn't understand how he is changing that family's life for a week at their vacation and how being sweet to them and kind and maybe somebody's going through cancer and all the things like day in the life teaches you're having an effect on that as an employee. And just a quick side story, Tim, I haven't even told you this, but yesterday I heard that my company that I sold a year and a half ago was having their retreat in Steamboat. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so weird because I was the one that did it all. And I always used to use your dad's stuff in there. So I got with this other woman in uh, Steamboat who sells them all their toilet paper and things. And we got permission and we came by with snacks just to say hi. And Cal, everybody in there was having a blast. They were doing all the things we used to do. They were finding purpose. They were feeling part of a company. Every person was there. And I left so happy because my point to this is culture lasts. And if you create a culture the way you know these Gen Z and millennials are pushing us to do, that will make you Gen X boomer last even when you're not there again. And I felt my spirit there and I felt like I had done something. 100%. And that means something to us older people. <laughs> so culture can last generations. That's what I'm, I guess I'm saying. I know a hundred percent. I'm glad you said that. I, and I think I mentioned this, maybe not in the webinar, but in the conference, but my parents' first business was salons and spas. And so I've kind of grown up in this, just this hospitality culture, but really my mom and dad started these salons and spas with zero dollars and, and they grew it on, you know, building rapport with customers and creating an unbelievable customer experience, but really also providing certain opportunities to hairdressers that weren't available in the 90s. And my mom being one of them, health insurance, they were overworked and underpaid, et cetera, and an industry that's predominantly women. So when they realized that they could maybe change this model, that was what they focused on. And they created this remarkable education program that educated them on things like Ford and service aptitude and things that you just talked about, but really a culture that was different. Flash forward 14, 15 years, my mom passed away in 2009. And at that point, my dad had already left, not officially left the salons, but he doesn't have as much managerial involvement at all. He's fully in the DeJulius group doing experience consulting. Um, and my mom ran the, the salons and that was their kind of their, their balance. And so it was kind of this moment where we're like, oh God, like my dad's over here and, and how are we going to continue to maintain and grow and et cetera. And because of that, and because of the culture that they've created, they have, I mean, they have 50 or 60% of the people that work in the salons. It's the only job they've ever had. The only person they've ever worked for is my parents, which I think mm. is pretty crazy and remarkable. And the culture did, it lasts. It's, and it, and it's still, so yeah, when, when the founder's absent, their purpose is still there and their message is still there. As long as the people around you really feel that what they're doing is important. One of the things really in the wheelhouse of the DeJulius group is customer experience action statement. Specifically, what is it? Why is it important when working with Gen Z and millennials particularly? A customer experience action statement, the official definition, is a clear call to action of what each employee should intentionally achieve every time they interact with the customer. So when you think of your a company, we all have our core values. We all have our mission and, and, and our purpose statement. A lot of business owners, they don't really care if their employees know their core values or their mission statement. These are the, the grandiose stories that we 
used to attract people to come work with us. They're not lies. They're not false. They're just not things that I need to recite off every time that I come in to interact with the customer. And they're usually the reasons that people are our customers. But what is the reason that we are providing the work that we do? Why am I drawn to work for XYZ Corporation? We need to create that sort of call to action, regardless of if you're in the mailroom, if you're in the C-suite, or if you're cleaning the, the house or the bathroom and, and, and turning providing the key to the renter, whatever it is. Everyone in that organization at the end of the day is part of that end goal. And so what is that? And so that North Star, then it serves as like a, a rallying point across the organization so that people from all parts of the organization feel that they have a common goal, no matter what individual job or title they may have. And so we always bring it back to the Ritz-Carlton and Starbucks. They recruit from the same pool of applicants Mm -hmm. as their competition, right? Like the Hilton down the street and the Ritz-Carlton across the street from it, they probably have the same age group of front desk staff. I mean, their management is going to be different and more senior maybe, but the experiences you're going to get are completely different and the price you're going to pay is completely different. And it's not that these people were, you know, woke up born to be a Ritz-Carlton employee and to serve, they were trained and, you know, had it ingrained in them to provide this remarkable customer experience because they realized that, yeah, I might be a a person that as an employee that never will be able to afford to stay here at the Ritz-Carlton in the next 10 years. But these very wealthy people that are checking in also have stories, also have lives that we're impacting, also have, you know, maybe they're here because they saved for the last 20 years and, you know, are bringing their kids on their first vacation, et cetera. There's so many reasons and scenarios that we can encourage people to be a part of. What's an example of a good customer experience action statement? So when, before I was like 11, maybe, but when they, when, when I was 11, they were working with the, 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 the Julius group. So we, but I wasn't in part of it yet. We're working with Starbucks. And when my dad arrived there, they said, we want you to come up with a, you know, a new customer experience action statement for us. And my dad said, well, what, what, what do you guys currently have? And they said, to nurture the human spirit one cup at a time. And it was something along those lines. And my dad was like, well, wow, that's pretty impressive. I mean, how do, and then they took a step back and they were like, well, that's not really actionable. How am I supposed to, as an employee, nurture the human spirit every time I interact with a customer? I mean, that's like, I mean, I'm serving a venti soy latte, you know? So they were like, let's create something more actionable. And what they came up with was we create inspired moments in each customer's day. And then they had four pillars as to why they, how they can achieve that. But the we create inspired moments in each customer's day is much more actionable. I can train people how to create an inspired moment. An inspired moment might be you see the same person in line every single day and you see that he's 10 minutes late this week or, you know, today, and you realize that he's probably gonna be late to work. Come to the front of the line, we'll we'll take care of you. And and, where you see the girl drop her drink or it's her birthday and you, you go out of your way. Those are inspired moments, however you want that to be. Nurturing the human spirit. I mean, like that sounds like CPR, you know, like that sounds like I don't know what that is. And the key piece of a customer experience action statement is that it's not visible to customers. It's for Starbucks, particularly, it was printed on the inside of their aprons. And so when they when they put their aprons on every day, they would see that because it's not for everyone else. It's the common goal as to why we're here. The goal that the reason that they're here is because of the mission and the core values, et cetera, and the the taste of the venti soy latte and the consistency of the product. Okay. Speaking of inspired moments, let's have an inspired moment from one of our podcast partners. Key Data is with us today. Happy holiday, everyone. Daniel from Key Data here, and I've got some tips for goal setting. 
Tis the season to make sure you're prepared for the upcoming year. From developing your strategy to setting realistic team goals, data can help you start and finish your year right. So, we're sharing four different ways that you can select the right metrics to track in the new year. Number one, start with your business goals and objectives. Define what success means to you to set the key performance indicators that are most relevant to your business. Then, choose those associated metrics. Number two, utilize the SMART framework. This means that your goals should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound so that every team member knows exactly how to work towards success. Number three, use your historic performance as a guide. You can pull past pacing and year-over-year -year performance in your key data dashboard to help you set realistic goals for improvement. And number four, don't forget to examine competitors. Identify areas for improvement by comparing your performance to local competition. Then set your goals accordingly. Try these tips to help set meaningful, data-driven goals for the new year. And from all of us at Key Data, happy holidays. Thanks, Key Data. Always great info from you guys, our pullover partner. We were just talking about the Starbucks story about the apron. And I have to tell you, Cal, that once your dad told me that, then anytime I went to Starbucks, I asked the barista, to, I said, oh, let me see, turn what's under your apron. Or I don't know. I said it the wrong way a few times. And they just kind of looked at me funny. I go, you know, like flip it over. It It's supposed to say this cool statement about what you're supposed to do. And they were like, it does. And one guy t looked in, he goes, oh, I've never seen that before. Huh? Oh, so the point of that is to like, not only make this action statement, but, but especially with these Gen Z and millennials, they want to hear about it. They want to take it in. They want to absorb what this means and be reminded of it and that they have a purpose, not just put it on an apron and hope they see it. A hundred percent. And Starbucks has since taken them off and repurposed it behind the scenes in the training and, and things like that, because they realized, you know, that whole, it wasn't as, as, as impactful behind the apron. No one really takes a second as they're putting it on, but it's just a good visual as to why it's for internal versus. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, implementation is the big part. I want to pick up on that by saying when we do all these things you suggest today and we have a welcoming company and we have the Gen Zs and the millennials and the boomers all working together well, how do we know we're doing a good job as an employer? Are, are there metrics or tools I can use to go, yeah, we got it going on here? That's a great question. You know, I'm the first of the, the generation to be in the workforce. Uh, you know, so let's, we have to, it's kind of like a case study here. I would assume and anticipate that any time that we've contributed any sort of energy, time, or capital to culture, it has always paid back, not immediately, but in profits. And But I think that from a standpoint of our generation that, quote unquote, has jobs for five minutes or whatever it is, you know, and then moves on to the next career, I think that you'll see people actually do stay when they feel like they're important or they're valued. And I don't, that's yeah. the metric. That's the metric. Yeah. When I walked into my old company's retreat yesterday, everyone was still there. They've been there for years and they are millennials. So it means something. I think that's a great metric. What do you think, Tim? I'm, I'm with you. I remember Cal making the example of Mike versus Luna, I think is what you use yeah. in the video. And Mike had been there for however long, and he was going to be there for 30 years. And, 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 and retire and with a Gold Rolex, hopefully. Yeah. Exactly. And Luna had been there three days and she might be there another 30 minutes. She might be there three days. She might be there 
you know, 30 months. We just don't know, but I think you've hit it. If they continue to stay, you're doing it right. That's my metric I'm going to take. Right. Before we get to rapid fire, which we got to do a little of that, Cal, let's go back to some specifics that our listeners can take from this episode about how to work with this new Gen Z workforce and millennials. What else do they want and how can we give it to them without being sort of bitter about it? Well, and that's the thing. I think that it's really important that we like recognize that people think that we're whiners and we're entitled. It's because people are allowing us to be and they're enabling it. And that might be not very the right thing to say in, amongst my peers and my, of my generation. But I think it's a little bit of I call it a little bit of BS sometimes on on that, because no one has to give 100 percent of everything that people are asking for. My dad didn't give me the salary I wanted. You know, like it's like we all have these expectations and this whole entitlement. It's you don't you don't have to reshift and reinvent the entire wheel. Right. There are going to be changes and 75% of the workforce by, I don't I think it's 2028 20, is going to be Gen Z and millennials. And so, of course, naturally, we're going to have to, to shift some things. And I think the big scary thing is this quote unquote flexibility thing that, mm-hmm. that people are talking about all the time. This, this doesn't mean that you have to 100% close your offices and have everyone be virtual. And, you know, you don't have to give everyone what they want, right? 100%. I think that it's it's about just seeing what is most important for your organization and seeing what's, you know, a non-negotiable and then, then giving on ways that you can that aren't that important. So for us, like we didn't need an office anymore. I wanted to live in New York and our clients are all over the world. So I can do that. The salons, they have to be in person, right? We hope that right. doctors show up to work, right? Like we hope that they are in person. We have a, a veterans mortgage company that I talked about a minute ago in Palm Beach. They're all my age, all of them between 23 and 28 years old for their sales floor. And every single one of them is there, not five days a week, six. And they are there like crushing it, but they're compensated really, really well. And so there's the trade-off there. I think that there's certain things that that we can we can have that are non-negotiables. That's a non-negotiable for them. His Their founder wants to be in the office every single day. For other people, it's maybe more flexibility. But at the end of the day, we don't have to change our entire business model, offer a different product because these whiny kids came in and said that we had to. We don't know everything, you know? Like what does the Gen Z stereotype want? Stereotypically, more flexibility and more time for their personal lives. But I think that one way that companies have navigated that is by doing, you know, the unlimited PTO sort of thing, where it doesn't necessarily mean that you really get unlimited PTO. But for me, it just means that like, I'm always replying to email, regardless of if I'm on vacation or not, which is fine. And it's a little manipulative and great. But at the end of the day, the the difference is that I'm able to take a trip in uh, for a week in March and in June, you know, like it's, it's, but I'm replying to emails and I'm getting my work done. Oh, okay. I've never looked at unlimited PTO. When I heard unlimited PTO, I thought, thank God I don't own a company anymore. So it's kind of really is in a way manipulative to get everybody what they want. Cause that is one, my last thing I wanted to ask you about. Typically Tim, especially Tim, and then my generation, me too. And even some millennials that are a little older millennials, they have an incredible, what we see as a work ethic, meaning they go on vacation and they just check their email. If they see that somebody's struggling at work and their customer needs something, they'll just take a minute from the safari they're on and respond. They don't just go like, I'm out of office later. So do you see that the flexibility, if given, will allow for us to then see that as a better work ethic? I think that the work ethic thing is just that we don't know yet. 
like that we as in Gen Z haven't realized that in order to be successful, you have to reply to that email. Like, okay. I don't think there's enough data and case study there yet to say that, like, we're going to be like that forever, because I would be surprised to think that anybody that's a multimillionaire or extremely successful and fulfilled in their career turned off their phone at five o'clock on Friday, <laughs> and opened it at 9 a.m. on Monday. I mean, I would love to work at that company. If that's, you know, mm-hmm. that. but I think that, like, I've had to learn that I've had to learn that, like, we have to be more prompt and or me as in colleagues are very prompt, but they're old. So I think flexibility will have its benefits, like unlimited PTO sort of thing, because it will change that we are working more around the clock rather than like the nine to five sort of thing. Yeah, but of course, there's going to be people that take advantage of that and, you know, vacation more, but they're just not right for the organization. And that's fine. Okay. And I know I'm supposed to stop, but I have one more quick question. Last thing. What do Gen Z people think of Gen X and boomers? What do you think of us? How do you see us? Probably that you guys made a lot of sacrifices that I don't know if they're necessarily, they were necessarily worth it at the time. Like in the long run, we don't really want to make that same. We don't want to work for 12 years to become a partner at a firm. Like that's, yeah. that's crazy. We would rather just grow organically, whether it's in other at seven different places or, you know, it's just a lot of time and energy put into and sacrifices put into what is, is our big question mark. Right. And you still don't own anything. That's the biggest takeaway I got from Cal to Julius right there. I tell you, I've been doing a lot of introspection since I met you, young man. Oh. <laughs> you are right thinking to myself, sitting at a table at 5.30, coding a bill going, why am I doing this? Uh-huh. I could be on the golf course, for God's sakes. Yeah. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's the reason that we sold our company is that I decided I wanted more time. And we'll just leave it that, Cal, I don't know if you realize this, but I think that a lot of Gen X and boomers are actually jealous of millennials and Gen Zers. And we think, wait a minute, why didn't we get more flexible? Why did we get so crazy focused and never ask the question? So some of this animosity really could be a jealousy issue. So we'll leave it at that. How about it? There you go. We'll have another series another day and I'll get into that. And please note that the boomer just referred to you as young man. Sorry about that. No, I don't mind. I've had a lot of Botox. It must be what we do. All right. We warned you briefly that we were going to do this rapid fire. This is a main little game we play where we ask you a series of quick questions. You can answer in just a few words or more wordy if you like. So here we go. Start the clock. Cal, what's your favorite social media outlet and how much time do you spend on it? Instagram, maybe an hour a day. I'm just rare. I don't use it a lot. Oh, that's not a lot? No, 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 no. (laughs) People use TikTok for like hour. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There's a difference. All right, Cal, what book did your dad make you read when you were young that you recommend we have all our young sons and daughters read? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And only you only have to read number three, which is seek to understand then to be understood. How about a talent or gift you do not currently possess that you wish you had? I'm studying Swedish. I'm not good at it yet, but I would like to to know that language. I don't know why. Random. Yeah. Okay. Cal, what's your favorite thing to do in New York City? We go to a lot of shows. We go to a lot of, and the benefit of being young is that there's their tickets are a lot cheaper for under 30. So They are? <laughs> yeah, $40 usually. Gen Zers oh. are even getting that. But our interest on our loans are very high. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Here's a work question for you. When you're at work, 
earbuds or AirPods in or not when you're working? From home or at the office? At the office. Well, I don't have that, but if I'm at a client's office, they would be off. Okay. Yeah. I see it all the oh, time. To take calls, I would never have them off. I would keep them in. Okay. I, I think my people are just listening to music, actually, but that's okay. I can't. I can't. I'm too ADD. Yeah. Wait, you mean you would never hold the phone up to your ear? If I was on a Zoom call at work or something in an office, I would put earbuds in so that my people around me didn't have to like listen to. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. When's the last time you used chat GPT? Every day. I use it to like for everything. Best piece of advice you ever got? Doing this podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping this is the best piece of advice. It hasn't come yet, but find what you're passionate about and then it'll the money will come later and it'll pay off later. Just just focus on what you're passionate about. And where did you get that advice? My father. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's your favorite movie? Oh, like Hotel Rwanda or something really where you learn. I like to learn a lot in these movies. So it's not like a happy one, but it's fascinating. So when you do have those ear pods in and you're walking around the street and you're maybe listening to that tune that ups you up, what's that jam you're listening to? I don't ever listen to music. Like, um, it's crazy. I know, because I don't have a car. We don't have cars in the city. So like, we don't, I'm always on the phone. I don't text. I, I call everyone. So I'm always on the phone. And I hate AirPods because I hate having an additional thing to charge. Like, it drives me crazy. So I rarely... Okay, that's so un-Gen Z. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I got to just ask a question. I know we're rapid fire, but you call everybody? I've never even heard of a yeah, but my... don't answer the phone. It is more and more common now that people are, like, my age are not liking this tech stuff. Like, it was really... It's just so... Like, every year I have to get a new phone. Like, it's like every year I have to shove out $1,100. Like, it's like, I'm just... I'm good with the old one. And it's like, you want the new camera, but you really don't care about anything else. And I don't need the new pair of AirPods every... And I hate ambiguity, so I don't text. I hate... Like, if my dad texts me, like, like, what are you doing? Is it like, what are you doing? And why aren't you on that call? Or is it like, hey, what's up? Like, I want to hear that, you know? Like, I need to know, like... And I think that's with everything. So I, I prefer to, to call or voice, voice memo. That is so refreshing. Well, and if we gave prizes for the best rapid fire, you would win. But unfortunately for you, we don't give prizes. We do give you our undying appreciation for playing our stupid little game, though. So thank you, Cal. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. <laughs> so for now, it's thanks again to Cal Julius. The bar has been raised for Dad's next appearance. He's a customer experience consultant, the Julius Group, and you can find out more about him and what all the fantastic people at the Julius Group are doing and what they can do for your business by visiting the thedejuliusgroup.com, or you can connect with him on LinkedIn or other social channels like Instagram. We appreciate you being here today, Cal. Thank you both. I appreciate it. Your dad will be so proud of you because I am. I don't even know you. You're <laughs> awesome. Thank you for being a Gen Z that I would hire. Oh, good. Maybe I'm looking. <laughs> so you don't have a company anymore. No, so. I don't have a company. All right. Thanks, Cal. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. So long, everybody. You've just listened to Sarah and T, the Professional Vacation Rental Managers podcast, hosted by Tim Cafferty of Outer Banks Blue and Sandbridge Blue, and Sarah Bradford, former owner of two vacation rental companies in Colorado, now advising other VR companies to thrive and grow. Today's episode was brought to you by their podcast partner, Key Data. Key Data provides access to granular, unique data for vacation rentals and hotels to navigate uncertainty with confidence. 
Institute with deep roots in property management and data partnerships with all the leading experts of vacation rental industry, eData goes deeper than any other data provider, giving you all easy access to data you need for information, critical pricing, marketing, and budgeting decisions. eDataDashboard.com is their website for you to find more information. Special thanks also to ICND for hosting Sarah and T's website. Sarah and T love to hear from their listeners. You can reach out to them on Facebook, LinkedIn, or their website, sarahnt.com. They always love to read a review on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Sarah and T will be back with a new episode very soon.